Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. On the topic of strength, I want to test your mind this morning. And so I have a riddle for you that's going to be on the screen. The riddle is this. I had many locks that don't need a key. I was far too many for you to count me. I was never to be shortened for a vow had been said. I was a symbol of strength that flowed from the head. But in a moment of weakness, my secret was out. I lay all in pieces when she gave the shout. I'm in the Bible. What am I? I'm testing your mind. What am I? Who's got the answer to the riddle? Very close. But I'll I'll tell you that you're close enough. The answer is Samson's hair. Kidding. I personally, I love riddles. And, and one of my favorite things to do while driving cross country is riddles. I'll have Amy pull up her phone and she'll pull up all kinds of different riddles and we will solve them together while we are driving cross country. It is my absolute favorite thing to do. And today we're talking about Samson. And apparently Samson also loved riddles. And the story of Samson is found in Judges 13 through 16 which we'll look at this morning. And and Samson, he was a man of great physical strength. And he, he is said to be the strongest person that has ever lived. And apparently he was also really smart, or at least he, he really liked riddles because in the story of Samson, he presents a riddle to all the peoples in Judges 14, 14. His riddle is, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something Sweet. In other words, what am I? That was Samson's riddle to the people. And, and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament includes Samson as, as being one of the great heroes of faith. However, I have to be completely honest. When I was reading this story, and when you go through the story of Samson, it is really hard to see him being a great man of faith. It's, it's really hard to find anything good about Samson. Samson falls. He fails again and again. He makes mistake after mistake. But yet God still uses him. Samson still becomes this great leader. He's, he's one of the, the, the judges. He's one of these Israelite people that God still uses as a leader. And he's still recorded as one of these great heroes of faith. But yet he is so flawed. And I read that. And I, as I was reading through this, I, I was beginning to think that, you know, sometimes we, we think that God only uses those that are righteous. We think that God only uses those that are pure, those that are, are good. And we, we tell ourselves that, that we need to pull ourselves together if we want to experience God. That, that we need to do something special in order to be something special. And I'm, I'm guilty of this more often than I want to admit. I, I often question why God would want to use me. I often look at myself and I just see all of the flaws. I, I see all of the mistakes. And this thinking can, can cause it to be difficult to just function in life, to begin to think of, of why God would you want to use me? And I'm reminded through this story of Samson that God uses us 
no matter what we have done. God uses us no matter what we are currently doing and no matter what we will do in the future, God can and will still use us. Now, I'm not saying that this gives us the, the excuse or the ability to do whatever we want to, knowing that God will forgive us later and, and use us however he wants to. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that even though we mess up, God can still use us. And that is what we see in the story of Samson. And so let's walk through the story of Samson in Judges chapter 3 or chapter 13. It begins in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The story starts off with failure. The failure of all of the Israelites, all of the people which led to their punishment of being delivered into the hands of the Philistines. This is their, their enemy. The Philistines were this great enemy. They were very powerful. They were very rich. They were more advanced than the Israelites in many different ways. They were stronger. They had better weapons. They had more money. Everything that they would need. <clears throat> but then God made a promise he makes a promise to the Israelites to send a leader to deliver them from the hands of the Philistines. Verses 3 through 5, an angel of the Lord appears to the woman and says, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And so this blessing that God gives would, would do two things. And it would come because of, of two different things. So if, if Samson is going to be this, this leader that's going to come, two things must happen. First, this woman cannot drink alcohol. And, and she cannot eat anything unclean. And second, they also have to keep certain vows for the child, for Samson. They have to keep these vows of a Nazarite. And a Nazarite is a special dedication to God. And you can find out more about that in Numbers chapter 6 if you really want to. But the highlights of a Nazarite is that it's this special devotion, this special way of living. And the three big things that they can't do is they can't drink wine. They cannot touch a dead body and they cannot shave or cut their hair at all. It was just a certain way of living that, that led to a certain type of devotion. And so God makes this promise to this woman. I'm kind of thinking about Jesus, God making this promise to Mary, or we, we can think of Abraham and Sarah, of God visiting this woman who is who's childless and says, I am making a promise to you. All you have to do is keep these Nazarite vows. And this son of yours that you're going to name Samson, he will deliver all, everybody from the Philistines. So then this woman has the child. She names him Samson and they keep his vows. And then the story switches to Samson much older, probably a young adult in Judges chapter 14. And, and so far, Samson has kept his Nazarite vow. 
But then as this young adult, he falls in love. And of course, anytime you fall in love, women are equal trouble is, is kind of what I'm reading from this story. And so he falls in love with this, this woman, but it's not just any woman. It's a Philistine woman, which is from the enemy. So he falls in love with, with the enemy in a way, and he decides that he wants to marry her. And that should sound completely odd to us, reading this story that he falls in love with one of the women from the enemy tribe and wants to marry her. But they, they decide that that's what they're going to do. And so they, they're, they're going to travel on this way. And I want to pause because this is so strange that Samson would fall in love with a Philistine girl. It's so strange that the author of Judges has to stop the story for a moment and give us this clue in verse 4. He puts it in brackets even. He says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. This was so odd that the writer had to tell us what was going on so that we didn't freak out and throw the book across the room, because obviously God was up to something here. But this is where the story gets really crazy, where he begins to run into all of these issues. And again, Samson, he's not allowed to touch wine, right? He cannot drink wine, cannot drink alcohol, cannot touch a dead body, and cannot cut his own hair. And we we know that his mom also couldn't drink wine. We don't know if that was only during pregnancy or for the rest of her life. We have absolutely no idea. And so they, Samson falls in love with this girl and they now have to travel to her hometown to arrange for this marriage. Verse five of chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. Now, first of all, Why would Samson go through a vineyard and potentially his mom, if if they're not supposed to touch any wine, why would they go to a vineyard or through a vineyard or anywhere close to a vineyard, which is where they make wine. So they have wine and alcohol everywhere. And so they, they, he apparently leaves his, his family members. And so he goes off there too by himself. And then we have this problem of a lion. Now, have any of you ever been to the zoo? and seeing a lion in real life. I mean, their heads are like the size of our entire bodies. I can't imagine how terrifying this would be. They are huge and they are fast. And Samson, we know the story of Samson as being this really strong individual, but up until this story, we have not been told that he is strong. So I have to wonder, did Samson at this time, did he know that he had this strength? We have no idea. It's possible that he had this strength all the time, or it's possible that God only gave him this strength at certain times. But at this point in the story, we have no idea if he had this strength or not. And so all I can imagine is how terrifying this would be for Samson to come across this giant lion. And then verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. He tore this lion apart with his bare hands because God gave him this strength. And this is the first time that we learn about the strength of Samson. But the problem is that he kept this great victory a secret from his parents. 
which means that his parents weren't with Samson. He went there by himself. Now, who would not want to boast about killing a lion with your bare hands? Doesn't matter if you're male or female. If you kill a lion with your bare hands, that is something to be excited about. That is something to run home and tell everybody, look at me. I killed a lion with my bare hands. I mean, we often boast about so many things that are much smaller than this, but Samson does not tell anybody. And the question is why? Why would Samson not tell people that he just killed this great lion? And the only logical thing that I can think of is that Samson wasn't where he was supposed to be. And so if he now goes and returns home and says, I was in the vineyard and killed this lion, he now has to tell everybody that he was in this place that he was not supposed to be. He was in this vineyard. See, I read this and I see the three of them traveling along to go to this place. And then I see Samson leaving the side of his parents to go to this vineyard where he should not have been, maybe where he wasn't even allowed to go. And then he almost dies by a lion in the place that he wasn't supposed to. And now he cannot tell his parents about it because then he would get in trouble. But then the problem gets worse. Verse eight and nine. Sometime later, he went back to marry her, this girl that he fell in love with. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, his dead body, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now, first, this just sounds absolutely disgusting to eat honey out of a dead animal's body. Absolutely disgusting. But, but also think about it. The lion's dead body would be where it died, right? Which was in the vineyard where he wasn't supposed to go. So the only way for Samson to go get it out of the dead body is for him to travel back to the vineyard a second time where he wasn't supposed to go. And remember the vows that he's supposed to keep. He can't drink wine and he can't touch a dead body. But how do you get the honey out of a dead body without touching the dead body? You can't. He now touches this dead lion and breaks his first vow. And then he eats this honey that is so sweet, but it's unclean in Jewish law. That is disgusting, but it is also unclean. And then he takes this unclean food back to his parents and feeds it to them without telling them where it came from. And again, remember his mom could not eat anything unclean. So now he forced his mom to break a vow of eating something unclean and still doesn't tell them anything about this. And I, I read all of this and I see, number one, all sorts of wrong here. But, but I also can't help but see Satan trying to work behind the scenes to stop Samson. I mean, think about it. God makes this promise to the Israelites 
of I am going to, to send a leader, a person that is going to deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. And if we back up to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of where this, this, this girl and this guy, they, they sin and they, it's because of the serpent and God is now punishing all of them, including the serpent. God tells the serpent, this evil one, he tells him, look, I am going to crush you. And he says, I'm going to crush you by sending somebody and you're going to strike its heel, but they are going to crush your head. And so Satan, this evil one, this potential serpent, he knows that in the future, God is going to destroy him. And Satan knows that. And God reveals kind of this bloodline of where it's going to come from. And then when we read the rest of the Old Testament with that information in mind, we know that Satan does whatever he can to try and stop that plan from happening. And he does this. And, and I could walk through every story of the Old Testament leading all the way up to Jesus about how often Satan tries to destroy this family bloodline. He just tries to destroy all the people so that he will not himself be destroyed. And now we are in the middle of this timeline and God says, hey, I'm going to send somebody to set you free from the Philistines. And Satan says, no, you're not. I'm going to do something about it. And I can't help but wonder, was Satan tempting Samson to go into this vineyard where he wasn't supposed to be? Was, was Satan behind this deceit, this, this temptation to say, hey, you know you're not supposed to go there, but why aren't you supposed to go there? You know, he plays that devil's advocate in a way. And he, he tries to get him to go to this place where he shouldn't go. I assume to try to get him to drink wine because if he drinks wise, he, wine, he breaks one of his vows. But Samson doesn't drink any wine. So then Satan sends this lion to try and destroy him, to try and kill him. And there's a verse in the New Testament from 1 Peter that reminds me of this situation. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I can't help but see the story of Samson in that verse. Peter is telling us, be sober of mind, meaning not getting drunk, which could happen where Samson is in the vineyard in this place where they have all this wine. And then Peter says to watch out for, this, for Satan that prowls around like a roaring lion, like Satan used or tried to use against Samson. But God steps in and saves Samson from the lion by giving him this insane amount of strength to defeat the lion with his bare hands. And then Samson or Satan fails there. And I have to wonder, maybe now Satan says, okay, well, I'm going to try this again because I know the rest of your vows. Now he tempts Samson to go back to the place that he's not supposed to go. But this time, rather than trying to kill him with a lion, he sends honey, right? What, what attracts bees better is honey. Whatever that saying is, you can attract it better. I have no idea what the saying is. I'm not really good with sayings, but you know where I'm going with that. And so Satan now attracts Samson to this place and gets him to break his first vow from that. And Samson was, was this promised savior. And all he had to do was keep all three vows and follow God's leading to be the savior. But yet he struggles to do that. He broke his first vow. And spoiler alert, he's going to break the other two in a moment as well. And I read this and I wonder, was Samson 
living under a tremendous amount of pressure. I have to imagine that they probably told Samson that he was this chosen one. They probably told Samson why he had to keep these vows because he was going to be used by God. And so, so Samson probably knew this. So, so I wonder, is he dealing with all of this insane amount of, of pressure? Is he, has he been told that he cannot go to vineyards? And you know, when you tell somebody not to do something, they just want to do it more. And so here is Samson that wants to do all of that. And I wonder, how often do we act like Samson where, where maybe we're under a lot of pressure? Or maybe we know that we're not supposed to do something, but yet we decide that we're going to do it anyway. And then what happens is, is once we do this thing that we know we're not supposed to do, then we try to keep it a secret, like Samson does. Maybe we fall into temptation, and, and then we try to hide it. However, hiding it usually makes it so much worse in the end than if we would just come clean to what we had done. And then we fail. We, we do whatever it is that we did. We, we fail, and then we immediately begin to blame ourselves. We assume that we are worthless, that, that, that we just continue to feel like that we are failures, that we're the cause of all of this, which must mean that Satan is now winning the battle in our minds. That Satan is now the one that is winning because he was able to, to first trick you into sinning, and now he's going to trick your mind into believing that you are worthless and cannot believe or follow or do anything that God may want you to do. And all of this happens to Samson. He messes up in this big way, but yet Samson is still considered to be this great man of faith that is used by God. And this is only the beginning of Samson's failures because it gets much worse. If we go back to the story, now it's time for the wedding where Samson is going to now marry this girl. And, and it includes this long feast in verse 10, which is on the screen, 1410, includes this, this scene, and it talks about this feast that happens. Now, it's really hard to see this in our English translations, but the word here used for feast in verse 10, in Hebrew, it, it's mishte, which is a drinking festival, like beer fest. Are you familiar with beer fest? That is basically what this is. And so it's hard not to think that all of a sudden Samson now throws this big drinking festival for the wedding and weddings usually lasted like seven days. So all they are doing this time is drinking and drinking and more drinking, which means that Samson most likely broke his second vow here. We don't really know how he drank what he drank or why he drank. It doesn't actually talk about that, but we have to assume that he broke his second vow here because of what happens a little bit later. And once again, I have to imagine that Satan is probably behind the scenes somehow tempting Samson to break his second vow. And so now we can assume that Samson at this moment has broken two out of his three vows. And all that is left is for him to make sure that his hair is never cut or shaved off and he can maintain this great strength and be this promised, destined savior. 
And so I have to imagine that Samson at this time, he's probably feeling pretty good about himself, at least in his mind, right? He's at his wedding feast to marry this girl that he wants. He was able to kill a lion with his bare hands. Nobody knew any of his secrets. He is seeming to be getting away with all of this. And this is the point at the wedding where he's feeling on top of the world, probably feeling like he's the smartest one in the room, getting a bit arrogant. And so then he, he forms this wager. And he says, all right, let's do a riddle battle. And if I win, I want you to give me 30 pieces of clothing. And, and we can assume that he was really stating 30 because there was 30 people with him. He had like a huge wedding party, 30 groomsmen with him is what, what it states here. So basically he's saying this. He's talking to all the Philistines that are there. And he says, hey, let's do a riddle battle. If I win, you need to give every one of us a shirt. And then if I lose, I will give each of you 30 shirts. And so he offers this riddle that nobody can solve, which I read earlier. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Which we know, obviously, is the lion. Out of the eater, this lion is where he found this honey. And there's nothing sweeter than honey. And there's nothing really wrong with this riddle, but, but what's wrong is Samson's attitude is beginning to change. He's beginning to think that he is better than everybody else. He's beginning to become arrogant. He's beginning to think that he can get away with everything. And sometimes that, that happens when, when we begin to go down the wrong path. When we begin to get this little taste of sin and, and then we get away with it, we tell this lie and nobody figures out and then we become more comfortable with it, which then leads to more lies and more lies. And then we feel like we can get away with whatever we want to, which then just causes us to crave more and more of this lying, more and more of this sin, which leads us down to this dangerous path. And for Samson, this was the beginning of this crazy, dangerous, and violent cycle of revenge. Here's what happens. At the wedding, the Philistines were unable to solve the, the riddle. So they convince Samson's soon-to-be wife to get the answer to the riddle. Samson tells her the answer. She then tells the Philistines. They figure out the answer. But Samson doesn't own 30 pieces of clothing to give it to them. So out of anger, he travels down to a nearby Philistine village, kills 30 Philistine men and takes all of their clothes and gives it back to them. Which then, of course, makes the, the Philistines mad. And so while he is gone, the Philistines are so mad that they figure out a way to steal his wife. And so now he hasn't completed whatever marriage ceremony has to happen. And so they steal his wife and give it to somebody else. So now Samson lost his wife. So then Samson responds with more revenge because he is super angry. So he captures 300 foxes. He ties their tails together, lights them on fire, and sets them loose in all of their crops, destroying all of the Philistines' crops, all of their wine vineyards, and everything. Again, crazy violence. And so then the Philistines respond back to that in violence by killing this girl that was supposed to be his wife and the girl's father. And then um, Samson, again, responds with more violence by killing even more Philistine men because of what he did. And it says something that he kills thousands of them. So he kills a whole bunch of them. And then Samson runs away and he goes and hides in this cave. 
So then, if the cycle wasn't over, the Philistines respond with more revenge and they decide, all right, this guy Samson's never going to end, so let's threaten war against all of his people. So the Philistines take all their men and they go down to Judah where all the, Philist- or where all the Israelites are and they tell the Israelites, we're going to go to war against you. Remember, they are bigger and more powerful. So we are going to go to war against you unless you surrender over Samson so that we can kill him. The Israelites say, okay, great. So they gather 3,000 men to go to Samson where he's hiding in this cave. They convince Samson to come. Samson comes, he gets tied up and he's about to be killed. But right before he gets killed, Samson breaks free from his bindings and he finds this this bone on the ground. It's a donkey's jawbone. And so he finds this and uses that as a weapon to then kill all of the Philistines that are there. And it says that he kills a thousand of them. Again, this crazy cycle of violence. And at this moment, I have to imagine that Samson is probably feeling pretty invincible. He's able to get away with all of his lies. No matter what happens, he is always able to do more damage to the Philistines because he is his chosen savior. And he gets so arrogant that he stands up in in chapter 15, verse 16, and he says this, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Apparently, he really liked rhyming, which I, I like too. And now, now I read this, and this, this is really funny. Because if you think about it, what's another word for a donkey? Right? I mean, you don't have to say it out loud, but it's, I mean, it's your, it's your rear end, right? That's the other word for it. So now think about this. That is the name for what a donkey is. So now let me read to you again what Samson says, and I want you to replace the word donkey for the rear end. He says, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. I, I laughed when I was reading all of that. Anyway, Samson, he, he continues with his arrogance. And now he makes demands of God. Verse 18, he says, Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Do you see what is happening to Samson? He keeps failing. He keeps falling. He keeps going back into sin and temptation, into into violence and arrogance. He's already broken two of his vows, and he is becoming extremely arrogant. He has fallen so far away from God, which has led to this crazy cycle of violence. And this is what sin does to us. We we might think sometimes, oh, this this sin isn't so bad. It's, It's small. It's harmless, but this sin that we do quickly escalates into this crazy cycle. It pushes us further and further away from God. Sin creeps in and affects our entire life. It makes us keep secrets from people. It makes us become arrogant. It makes us hide from God. It makes us respond with violence. We can cause so much harm to people Because of one little sin that creeps in and escalates and builds. I think of like, I know we don't have snow here in Phoenix, but imagine going up north somewhere where there is snow and you go on a mountain and if you take a snowball, right, and you you pack up the snowball and you set it down and you let it roll down the mountain, it picks up more snow as it goes and it turns into this giant boulder. 
And that is what I imagine sin doing. Sometimes sin just starts out small. There's nothing wrong with a snowball. I can throw it at Wayne and it hits him. It's not a big deal. But if he were standing at the bottom of a hill and I let this small snowball escalate into this giant boulder that now hits him, it can do some damage. I mean, Wayne's pretty strong, so maybe not. But, but you see where I'm going with this. And, and then what happens is, is the story picks up from that moment of, of Samson being this, this really arrogant person. And then the story fast forwards 20 years. They don't tell us what happened in this 20 years gap, but Samson was, was elected to be the leader of the, the Israelites during this 20 years because of his victory over the Philistines. But remember, his goal this whole time was to deliver them and set them free from the Philistines. And he led them for 20 years and apparently forgot about that because he wasn't able to do that. But then he begins to fall and fail even more. He travels to a Philistine town and he finds a prostitute to spend the night with. And while he is there doing whatever it is that you do in those places, the Philistines learn of his location and they try to kill him. And Samson barely escapes from it. And then if that wasn't bad enough, then he falls in love with another Philistine girl named Delilah. But Delilah appears to be working for the Philistines because she continues to try and trick Samson into revealing the source of his great strength and power so that the Israelites could capture him. And Delilah attempts to trick him multiple times. And each time, Samson responds with a lie of, of the source of his strength. So then she would try out the lie. And of course, it doesn't work. She gets really angry. And then she asks again. And apparently, you would think that this man, Samson, who loved riddles and apparently was smart, you would think he would catch on to what she was doing, but he doesn't. And maybe he was blinded by love. Who knows? I don't know. But either way, eventually, Delilah finally asks him, gets super angry and says, you need to tell me now, why are you withholding this from me? Samson then answers and tells her the truth about how he had three vows to keep. He's already broken two of them. So if he breaks his last vow of cutting his hair, he will lose all of his strength. And so then Delilah betrays him. Chapter 16, verse 19. It says, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Samson lost his hair. This is breaking the final vow. He lost all of his strength is what it says. And then they tie him up and then they cut out both of his eyes and throw him into jail. And I'm not sure why they cut out his eyes. It's possible that they were just angry and that's just what they did back then and they wanted to cut out both of his eyes. Or I wonder if maybe this was kind of a dig at the Israelite law of an eye for an eye and so they cut out two of his eyes. I don't, I don't know. But either way, the Philistines, they capture Samson and then they throw this big party to celebrate their God Dagon is the name of their God, to celebrate their God because they were able to capture Samson. In a way, what they're stating is that their God must be bigger than Samson's God because they were able to capture this destined hero of the day. 
And then Samson, while he's at this party, about to be killed at this party, this, this worship party, he, again, he is blind. And so he asks to be stood up between two towers, two pillars that are holding up everything so that he can feel them with his hands. And then something crazy happens. And this is where we really begin to see the hand of God come to action. And remember that Samson, had, he'd fallen off the deep end. He is so far removed from God, like as far as he possibly can remove himself from God is how far he is at this moment. He's broken all the vows. He's lied. He's sinned. He's done so much violence in the world. He's become arrogant. He, he forgot everything. He basically, he completely lost his identity. But then in verse 28, it says that Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow blow, get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. This is the story of Samson, the story of a flawed leader who failed time and time and time again, but yet for some reason he is considered this great hero of faith. And my question is, is why? Because he didn't even accomplish his goal. His goal was to lead the people, to to set them free from the Philistines, but he dies and all he did was kill a bunch of them and make them really angry against the Philistine or against the Israelites. And sure, Samson did end up going to God, turning back to God in the end, confessing and seeking him. And and apparently he remembered God and, and he finally realized at the end that all of his strength came from God rather than his own doing. And so he prays to God for one last time. But I don't really think that makes Samson the hero of this story. Instead, what, what we actually see is that God is the hero of this story. God was gracious. God enabled an imperfect person to accomplish his perfect will. God heard the prayers of Samson and God responded. And there was a much bigger battle going on than just in Samson's physical life. Samson alone was flawed and arrogant, but behind the scenes, we see this battle, this war being fought between God and Satan. Satan tried everything he could to do to defeat Samson, and Satan must have thought he won. Satan must have thought in this final moment when, when all of Samson's strength has been gone, when both of his eyes were cut out, when he was about to be sacrificed at this big party, I have to imagine that Satan thought that he was about to win. But at that last moment, God showed up and displayed his power and showed that he won against Satan. And this is just like the story of Jesus. Satan tried desperately to defeat Jesus. Like Samson, Satan tried to tempt Jesus into sinning for 40 days. 
And when that didn't work, he went behind the scenes to get Jesus arrested, to have Jesus hung on a cross, and then to have Jesus killed. And I have to imagine at the moment that Jesus died, when he says it is finished, when all the life left his body and he died, I have to imagine this huge party going on wherever Satan lives at this moment. I have to imagine that Satan was, was rejoicing because he thought that he had finally won. But God wasn't done. Jesus wasn't done. Jesus defeated Satan. He defeated death. He rose from the dead with a great strength. Jesus died on the cross for us, and he rose on the dead for us. Jesus won the battle over Satan for us. And now we too can win the battle over Satan. We can win the battle over the sin in our lives. We can win the battle over the temptation in our lives. By having faith in Jesus and following his will, the Holy Spirit can work in us to rid us from our sinful desires, to break the chains, to set us free from the bondage of sin that holds us back so much. The true hero in this story is God. And the truth is that we are never too far gone to be used by God. We often think that we have to be perfect in order for God to use us, but that is not the case. Samson was not a good um, model for morals, but yet God still chose to use him. Our job is to trust in God. Our job is to follow after Jesus, to deny our selfish desires that we have in our life. Our job is to pick up the cross and follow after Jesus. Our job is to love God and to love other people. Our job is to be and share the gospel. And all of that is possible because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. Here's what we learn from this story of Samson. First, we learn that nobody is perfect. Even the greatest of the great will fall sometimes, but through Christ's perfection, we can find strength and we can be used by God. Second, we, we must remember that our strength comes from God. It does not come from our own. And when we lose sight of that, when we begin to think more highly of ourselves, to think more about our greatness, more about our strength, when we begin to think that we can do things without the help of God, that is the moment when we begin to fail the most, the moment when Satan gets a foothold and then the cycle of violence just escalates from there. We must remember that our strength comes from God. Jesus has already won the war against Satan. However, the battle is not over. Satan, for a limited time, still has power on this earth to tempt us, to deceive us. But we have Jesus on our side to give us the strength that we need to overcome the evil one. All it takes is for us to maintain our faith and trust in Jesus. All it takes is for us to surrender ourselves to God and to let the Holy Spirit do a new work in us to rid us of our sin. Let us pray now for, for renewal of strength and then we'll close out with, with some worship. 
Father, you are so good. You choose not to leave us. You hear our prayers in those moments when we feel like we have failed so far, that we have gone so far that you cannot hear us, but yet you still do. God, I ask for strength. I ask for strength to do your will. Give us the strength to overcome the temptation in our lives. We believe that you can set us free from this bondage of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in this moment, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Make us new. Father, we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnazchurch or our website, rnaz.church.